Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is The Clearance Bin, Volume 1. And if this is your first time ever joining us, welcome. In case you're one of those weirdos that likes to start at episode not number one. Yeah, that's lame. <laughs> but anyhow, yes, Clearance Bin episodes. You're probably wondering what the hell a Clearance Bin episode is. Well, since we've gone with the title of Macabre Emporium, which is like... Which is related to retail, we decided to call our mixed bag episodes The Clearance Bin. Which would be little short stories of things we found interesting along the way, but we decided they weren't enough material to do a full episode on. Yes. And this is also kind of giving Sarah and I a little bit of a research break, I guess you could say. Yes, from doing the, the like, big, in-depth, thorough... Topics, cases... That Yep, that we've already done. <laughs> so this week, uh, David's going to go first, and then I'm going to read one, and then David's going to do one, and then I'm going to do one, and then David's going to do a third. So you get three mm. from him, two from me. All right, so my first one is actually from my hometown. Um, if you grew up in the Elkhart, Indiana area, I'm sure you remember a concrete block approximately four feet tall and three feet wide before it was knocked over, actually f- created by a dentist. A dentist, you say? Mm-hmm. A very eccentric dentist for the most part. Uh, sometime in the either the 1940s or the 1950s, depending on who you ask from my hometown, which trying to find extra information on this was like a pain in the ass. But I'll Was it, it like trying to pull teeth? Oh, you were coming in with the punnies already? Wow. <laughs> Uh, kind, I guess you could say, but then again, if you follow me on my personal Facebook page and saw my status update about boomers can't follow directions, this was the reasoning why behind it. I kind of <clears throat> figured with as aggravated as you were getting over the one post in the group that I am not a part of because yeah. I didn't grow up around here. Right. But yeah. So, without wasting any more time, I guess. Well, Again. Again. <laughs> Sometime in either the 1940s or the 1950s, depending on who you ask, a local dentist by the name of Joseph Stamp would lose his pet German Shepherd named Prince. As most people would want to immortalize their beloved pets in some fashion, Dr. Stamp would end up taking the thousands of teeth he had saved and preserved in a barrel in the basement of his dentist office. He would continue to add on to this block over the course of his 60-year career as a dentist, and it would be somewhat of an event for kids that lived around the office when he would add more teeth to the block of concrete and teeth. Some of the locals said that the dog Prince was actually buried underneath it, and some said he wasn't. Nobody is really sure why Dr. Stamp chose to make a memorial out of concrete and teeth. His granddaughter, which was named in the article I took most of this from, was not named, but she did say her grandfather was a little bit eccentric but was resourceful. She believes that he may have used teeth as a filler to get more body out of the concrete than just mm-hmm. the concrete alone. Originally, you would find this massive block of concrete teeth just a few steps off of a sidewalk, but after a couple of teenagers knocked it over, it has been moved to 
the 820 antique store in Elkhart, Indiana, where the block was originally erected. Mm -hmm. If you want to see it, so thankfully that that they took ownership of it, so everybody that's ever heard of it can actually see it. Yeah. With my boomer comments earlier, I was kind of hoping to find some stories from people that grew up around the area when Dr. Stamp was alive, but I ended up finding more stories about how the quote-unquote terrible dentist he was by their own personal opinions. Yeah. I read some of those. Yeah. Some of the stories, they like, things I did find that, that people did comment is that one said that the kids would tell each other, go, like, the block was haunted. Someone, like, said that one person did comment that said that kids would pour ketchup on it to try and scare people, but more than likely they just irritated their parents for wasting ketchup. Probably. Because, you know, kids tend to see ketchup, think blood because of the television for the most part. It's probably the with ketchup, but anybody else probably looked at it. It's like, why is there a bunch of ketchup on the tooth block? Uh, some of the other legends were that there was gold teeth inside of it. Obviously, he wouldn't have put gold teeth in there, so people would chip away at it as well, too. And another one of the people that did comment on that did listen to my instructions said that when they were kids, they would pick teeth out of it and make necklaces out of them, and they, for some reason, were really popular around the middle schools around the area. Seriously? Yeah. And also, of course, as kids being kids, they would dare each other to go up and touch it because, you know, it was supposed to be haunted as well, too. Oh, jeez. Or some people's sisters like to dig through the dirt to find teeth from it and take it home. Yep, that would be my sister that took <laughs> home a baggie of random fucking teeth. Yeah. And, yeah. I wonder if she still has them. Um, I've... When I first did this, found a picture of it in its new home. Mm -hmm. I sent that picture to her so she could actually see how big it was. Because the pictures you found, like an Atlas Obscura and Yelkart Truth, that was actually on its side. Right. And where it sits at now, they actually have it standing up, but it's upside down because it wasn't level on the bottom. Gotcha. But I sent her the picture of it inside the antique store now, and... She said, I still have the teeth, and this was probably, like, over a year or two ago when I sent her this picture. Oh, jeez. No, she probably still has them, then. But, yeah, that's the tooth block from my hometown that lots of people may or may not have heard of, or... That's... It's... uh, When you took us to that spot where it it stood, Mm -hmm. um, just walking up and seeing teeth laying Mm -hmm. there i mean it's a little eerie (laughs) well from what i understand the block actually got knocked over and isn't really sure but know that it was still there until at least 2014 before it finally got moved in that spot yeah on its side which wouldn't have been that many years before nope because we got together in 2015 so it was dang that's very gross so you started off with hometown. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start out with a story that is kind of near my hometown as well. Okay. On a hot July weekend in 1972, families all around Waterford were excited because the circus was coming to town. Yay, circus. Well, they already have a bad history on our show already, but I'm sure it's nothing that bad as mine. No, not quite. I mean, it, well, you, you'll find out. The Link Link Shows Circus, have you ever heard of that one? No. Yeah, apparently that's what it was called. So the Link Shows Circus would be playing until Sunday at the Pontiac Mall. The circus included three elephants, 
Babe, Jimbo, and Little Jenny. But that Friday night, it would only be Jimbo and Babe under the lights of the circus tent. Their co-star, Little Jenny, was laid to rest that same morning. Earlier in the week, Little Jenny had fallen ill and was refusing to eat anything. Combined efforts of Waterford and the Detroit Zoo veterinarians, it was found that Little Jenny was suffering from pneumonia. There was nothing they could do for her other than try to get her to eat and drink. And even through all those attempts, Mm -hmm. she couldn't. Yeah. Um, She didn't recover, and she passed away at 10 a.m. on Friday, July 21st, 1972. Before Little Jenny became a circus performer, she was a movie star. She starred in the 1954 film Elephant Walk uh, with Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. She was one of ten elephants cast for the movie. One also happened to be her circus sister, Babe. The Pontiac Mall, or Summit Place Mall for those that knew it as that, which is me. Um, they were known for using, they were known for allowing use of their large parking lot to attract more customers, of course. But they'd allow people to come set up carnivals, freak shows, circuses, anything like that. This wasn't abnormal for the mall. However, a funeral for an elephant definitely was. Right. So I'm sure that probably drew a lot more people if it... I don't know. The myth is kept on keeping on due to speculation that surrounds this story. Some people claim the elephant was shot and killed out of respect due to how sick she was, but that was not the case. Little Jenny was not shot. The 60-year-old elephant simply died of pneumonia. Yeah. 60, 60 years old. Now you may be wondering... What you would do with a nearly four-ton deceased elephant. Neighborhood barbecue! (laughs) No. No. I I kind of wonder what an elephant would taste like, but anyway. Are you for real? Yeah. Just out of curiosity. So you're going to enhance that sound so that they can hear his sticky-ass paws. (laughs) Anyways, moving on. Lugosi decided to join us on the, on the counter, and he's rubbing all over everything, so if you hear it, no apologies. There he goes. <laughs> he's rubbing on the microphone. <laughs> Anyways, so you wouldn't simply be able to move her because of the size that she was. I mean, she's four tons. Right. So the Waterford police were given permission from the Pontiac Mall's owners at 3.45 p.m. to tell the carnival owners to go ahead and bury her where she had passed away. Oh, yeah. I mean, for one, I'm sure Waterford's not equipped for some kind of a situation like this, especially in the fucking 70s. No, nope. After the carnival management got in contact with little Jenny's owner, it wasn't until 4.30 p.m. that she was put into her grave. The story about how this happened was that a backhoe driver started to push her. Like, push her body into this giant hole that they had dug. Um, until they heard the her trainer, like, mm-hmm. yelling out, telling him to stop and, you know, quit doing what you're doing. Stop, stop. So the guy in the backhoe stopped. Mm-hmm. The trainer began to unchain little Jenny's co-star Babe and instructed the elephant to push little Jenny into her grave. Babe and Jenny worked together for quite a long time, and this is how trainer Will Bill Waite felt was the best way to honor her and give her a proper funeral. Mm-hmm. And I have a picture that'll be posted with this that shows Babe 
pushing Jenny into her hole. The carnival owners and little Jenny's trainer, Bill Waite, weren't happy that her body was buried so quickly and in that spot. They wanted to have her buried somewhere more dignified, but it wasn't possible and time was not in her favor. Okay, I say it's not in her favor because it was like July. Right. Hot as fuck July on asphalt. Right. She had, there was, yeah, that was not a kind thing to her. Uh, The exact location of Jenny's gravesite is still debated, but is still unknown. Like, they know she's there on that property, Mm -hmm. but by picture alone, because of how much everything is, like, grown up around there, they can't say for sure where it is. (laughs) The Summit Place Mall was demolished, but before it was, it was expanded. So it's also entirely possible that they built the expansion on top of her or built the expansion's parking lot on top of her. Yeah. But couldn't they kind of use, like, sonar? Yeah, they could, but that's probably quite expensive, and who's going to really want to spend the money on trying to find the remains of a, a elephant underneath the mall parking lot? I don't know. But if you ever find yourself in that area, just know that whenever you're near the Telegraph and Pontiac Lake Road intersection... You are close to little Jenny, and hopefully you remember her story. Is there, like, even a marker or anything out there for it? Nothing. Mm. Nothing. Well, it probably didn't seem to care too much. I don't know. But um, July of this year mm-hmm. will be the 51st anniversary for her being buried there. Sad. A little yep, sad. It is. Little Jenny. <laughs> so, for my next story, I'm going to go back to... Well, for my last two stories, we're going to be going back to our wonderful friends of the Victorian area. Oh, we're going back to the way back. The way back with the, the whack doodles. <laughs> yes. So for my first one that I'm going to be doing is the Victorian belief that train rides caused insanity, also known as railway madness. I mean, how fast were they going? Because if they were going super <clears throat> fast, I could understand it because that shit would drive me insane. Well, one of their beliefs was... That the human body was not designed to go over 50 miles an hour. Oh, shit. (laughs) And there's a couple other ones that I have in there that are kind of just as goofy. So approximately starting in January of 1865, there wasn't a real specific date when this first started happening. They just know it was in January. A mental illness would emerge known as railway madness. For unknown reasons, train passengers would board trains in England showing no signs of anything wrong with them, but it wouldn't be until these trains started moving that they would begin to act out. One train from Carnforth to Liverpool, a man would start to laugh in a deranged manner with erratic behavior. He would frighten passengers with a gun and attack, attack windows and be out of control. But when the train came to a stop along the route, he would be fine, like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And then until the train started moving again, he would start acting out again. Strange. Mm -hmm. Now, this railway madness only really occurred in men during these times. Ten years later, in the 1860s and 70s, more reports of this behavior were starting to emerge. Uh, One of these cases was of a Scottish aristocrat ditching his clothes before leaning out the window Ranting and raving and would cover and would recover his composure as if nothing happened on the train. <laughs> okay. Even the media spun madness as one story from 1864 would read: A madman in a railway carriage gleefully related how a burly sailor became incensed. 
flailing around in an erratic manner, first trying to climb out the window and then swearing and shouting at the other occupants of the carriage and struggling with everyone. A superhuman strength gripped the aggressor and four people were required to restrain him and he had to be bound to a seat. The conflict was not over yet, was not over yet though. When the sailor was released, he charged viciously at those who had restrained him and accused them of stealing from him and it took railway officials and finally the police to subdue and arrest the sailor. Four people. Yeah. Well, and the things is about the story that wasn't put in there, so because the media spun the story to make money mm-hmm. off of it, was that this sailor was more than likely suffering from delirium tremens, which is a rapid onset of confusion associated with alcohol withdrawal symptoms. Ah, uh, was he an alcoholic? They. There wasn't a whole lot of information that I could find oh. that anything about it, but they be- that's more likely what they believe this sailor to mm-hmm. been suffering from. Now, you might be thinking, why didn't people just move to the next car to get away from these wackadoodles? Well, unlike modern railroad cars like we see today, where they're fully enclosed and they have the diaphragms on each end connecting car to car, Yeah, the rail cars at these times were... More based off of your horse-drawn carriage. So they were sectioned compartments with a running board on the outside. So you were in these boxes basically locked in with people. So there was no... There was no escaping them from the compartment you were in until you got to the next station. Jeez. They are unsure what caused this railway madness. Doctors and newspapers believe that, that that this was a combination of the sound... And movements of the train and the countryside moving by while confined in the small space of these rail cars uh-huh. at the high, at a high rate of speed would cause sensory overload. I can understand that. They also speculated that the rapid modernization of the world of the time would be too much for some people and a ride on the train to and a ride on the train would all it would take to set off this madness. This belief was also backed up by explorers of other countries stating that they never saw any kind of behavior like this in men in lesser developed countries. Another crazy belief that that might possibly cause this railway madness was a lack of masculinity in men. (laughs) And also railways were causing this same type of hysteria that was only seen in women in this time period. Only seen in women. That's how it was like to type of hysteria is that women like would have in like the when they were on, on their periods basically i guess i'm gonna assume that's what they meant by bastards that. well that's why you went to the doctor to go get your button to lead by his like electro what you call it which is the fancy term for a vibrator sometimes. you say your butt to get your button did lead yep <laughs> No. No. Get your lady wing stroked. Is that better? Get your fucking button deadly. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, apparently I got taken over by fucking Ned Flanders there for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) Fucking button deadly. All right, let's get back on track here. Oh, Oh, here we go with the puns. Yeah, you got one. Now I got one. Uh Uh-huh. Another possibility of this could be from previous traumatic experiences being involved from railway accidents. 
The famous author Charles Dickens had a fear of traveling by rail after being involved in an accident. One of the sources I used would write about how his children recalled seeing him in a sweat and staring at the floor and shaking the entire time. Um, one person also would joke about having illnesses from having an illness cured from a railway accident and saying that his rheumatic fever was caused by such a traumatic event. Oh my god. So yeah, even back in these times, people were fucking assholes and joking about traumatic experiences like you see in, on social media these days. So yeah, our great-great-grandparents were no better than we are now today. You don't say. <laughs> Some of the other crazy Victorian beliefs by traveling by rail was that women's bodies weren't designed for rail travel and that possibly their uteruses would fly out of their body. As Sarah's rubbing her forehead in disbelief. Their uteruses would fly out of their body. Yep. These are also the same people that would prescribe cocaine as a medication. <laughs> Um, as I had mentioned previously in this story, another thing is that the human body wasn't designed to travel faster than speeds by horseback. <laughs> was another thing so that they found rail travel to be dangerous and could have been also a cause of this railway madness. And also, and also part of the whole horseback thing is your body could possibly melt by traveling at speeds faster than horseback before they realized you could travel by train and not melt. They're so stupid. I wanted, I mean, that's what I'm most curious about. How did that belief happen? Is like, how did somebody, like, it had to come from somewhere. I can almost guarantee it was a fucking man. <laughs> well, even besides <laughs> that, it's like, how, how did they come about this? It's like, oh yeah, you're going to melt if you go faster than a horse can run. <laughs> you ride on a train, your uterus is going to fall out. It's like, Although it's fucking attached. Right. Gravity itself doesn't allow your <laughs> your fucking <laughs> uterus to just fall yeah, out. Yeah, because apparently they didn't put two and two together that, it, you know, even not on riding on train. Oh, what are they wow. think it's like? You know that loose, like, receder McDonald's napkin that gets catches a breeze and <laughs> yeah. just flapping around until it gets sucked out the fucking window? Is that... Use it as a fucking parachute on your way back now. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, oh, I would no. just like to know where the whole melting belief came from. It's like... Did somebody like, see something like melting? It's like, oh yeah, it must have been moving faster than a horse and then that's where it came from? I oh, fucking knows i like i don't even know what to say like right anyhow that's story number two for me that's okay so basically the whole thing that you just you just talked about mm -hmm. all of it sounds like severe fucking anxiety to me right like i think that my professional dumbass opinion is that they were all experiencing anxiety, like right. their highest form, because of all the shit they heard. Right. Like, this can happen, this can happen, this can happen if you ride on a could. train. It could be, because, I mean, like, people's, people have the same feelings about flying before. Like, I know you're afraid of heights, uh -huh. but you've never flown, but I'm not nope. using you as an example. I mean, there's people that go to fly and have shown behaviors like this before as well. I bet they they were reeling off of their anxiety. And people like, you know, to be assholes, 
And they're like, oh yeah, this like this, this, and this can fucking happen on a fucking airplane. You have know? you ever had an anxiety attack? Like a full-on anxiety I don't attack? I not think I ever have. Okay, so I have. And it's fucking terrifying. Oh, I'm sure. For one. Two, you get hot, which would ex- explain, like, the sweating. Right. Because your nerves are so... Your heart's right. racing, you sweat. It's legitimately terrifying. Oh, I'm sure. But... Yeah, but- I can't ever recall if I've ever had one or not. Oh, you'd remember. But yeah, that's what I think it was, is their anxiety of all the stories of bad shit that happens if they get on this train and then they're on the train and they're like, oh shit, I'm going to die. My fucking, my uterus is going to fall out of my (laughs) hoo-hoo. Yeah. So then they probably didn't have a better understanding of mental illness at the time like we do now. I'm sure they did it. And like I said, they were prescribing cocaine as a drug and using chainsaws for child delivery. What? Yeah. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. Look up one of these times, just Google the original and why the chainsaw was invented. That's why they built a chainsaw. Yep. I'm going to let you Google that later when we close up the store for the day. The fuck? (laughs) Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, so very stupid. Now it's my turn again. Yep. So, what do you have for our, your next story? Oh, um, just the Valparaiso chicken fucker. <laughs> the movie Poultry Geist comes to mind when you say that. Poultry Geist. So there's a man by the name of Michael Bessigano from Hobart, Indiana. I'm assuming Hobart is near Valparaiso. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go ahead and preface this by giving you a visual. Imagine, if you will, a far less, I mean far less, attractive version of Trent Reznor that knows his way around a banjo, if you catch my drift. Michael was first arrested in 1991 when he was found inside of a chicken coop with dead chickens at his feet. His second arrest came for breaking a rooster's neck before being found in his neighbor's goose pen attempting to rape the geese. The fuck? Like... (laughs) He was taken to court and pled guilty to his misdemeanor and was charged a $500 fine. That's it for fucking chickens and geese? And for breaking their necks and killing them, yeah. Yeah, that's all. This was not the first time for him, though. He had a long history of sexually abusing and killing animals. Mainly dogs, chickens, and guinea fowl, which are not the same thing as chickens. Right. If you do you know what they are? Not off the top of my head. If you Googled it, you would you would recognize it. Okay. Michael himself said that he would sleep with dead animals and even slept with a dead raccoon. Yeah. Yeah. In nineteen ninety three, he was found guilty of breaking into a barn, stealing a Rottweiler, and then trying to kill it by breaking its neck. This time, he served two years in prison. During the trial, Michael said that he would rather live with animals than people. But I mean, really, how true is that when you keep fucking them and then killing them? Right. (laughs) If you're not going to have much to live with if you keep killing your fucking boyfriends. (laughs) Jesus. A month later, he was released and then arrested in connection to an attempted theft of a German shepherd. So apparently he likes the big spicy dogs. Apparently. Yeah, go try and do this with Tibetan Mastiff, Gal. See how that works out for oh, you. Oh, shit. In 2002, Michael served four years in prison because he took a chicken on a date to a no-tell motel. 
<laughs> yeah. oh God, that like I had mentioned in the beginning, your story is that a poultry guy comes to mind. Yeah, there is one character in the movie. If you've never seen it, I have he never was, seen it. Oh, I have to find it sometime so you can watch it at least once. Okay. It's like it's from the Trauma film, get brother the Trauma Brothers. They made Toxic Avenger movies, a Swamp Thing. Okay, they don't make A list movies. They only do like B C movies. Yeah. Okay. This is a step up from Willy's Wonderland. It's actually entertaining. But anyhow. <laughs> Anything is a step but up. <laughs> there's a scene in the movie. He's talking to this fucking chicken, like a processed chicken. Like he's flirting with it. And he's pulling out a used condom from his head. It's like, don't worry, baby. This thing going to hurt a bit. Or something like that. It's been so long since I watched oh it. And God. I just remember that just you singing and taking it to No Tumble Hotel just reminded me of that whole fucking scene. That's great. But We're going to have to watch that. But anyhow. So, yes. Took it to the motel, had sex with it, and then killed it. There was far more than one chicken prior to that, but I guess they weren't special enough for an evening out at a motel. I guess not. <laughs> when he was in jail, he slept underneath his cot. He also painted cat stripes on his body and drew pictures of himself and referred to himself as the master of cats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In 2009, he was arrested for downloading bestiality porn on his computer and was sentenced to 33 months in federal prison. After he served his time, he got out with three years of federal supervised release, release, but he fucked that up in 2013 when he was arrested for sexually abusing guinea fowl again. What the f- <laughs> Yeah. With this, he pled guilty to the theft of the bird and was then sentenced to seven and a half years because he then, at that point, became a habitual d- offender. <laughs> oh, he only now is being a habitual offender when he's already fucked the whole menagerie of fucking poultry? And canines? Yeah. Yep. In 2017, Michael begged the federal judge to release him from prison so he could undergo chemical castration. His attorney... Fuck, he should have just gone and work for Joe Exotic. That fucking Windward Tigers would have taken care of us. That's real fucking quick. His attorney, Jennifer Sobel... I'm pretty sure she's a fucking nut. But... Uh, she requested that the courts take into consideration the time that Michael had already served in prison and that he would undergo therapy and monthly injections of a testosterone-reducing drug called Depo-Lupron. It's so, not that hard. It's like other shows you say you don't touch children. Oh, that's the obvious. But you also don't fuck chickens either. Or chickens dogs. Or children. Or dead raccoons. Or anything with four legs. Yeah. And anyhow, what the fuck? Sobel argued that Michael is is motivated by sexual desire, not by sadism or any desire to hurt animals. Yet he fucking killed them. But yeah, he continuously breaks their necks, but he doesn't want to hurt them. So I'm going to say, Miss Jennifer Sobel, you're a dumbass, and that is a weak fucking defense for this dude. Right. He doesn't want to hurt them. Right. He just wants to poke their butthole and then kill them. Right. No hurting. He was evaluated by a man named Fred Berlin, who was an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Fred said that the hormone treatment could be effective for him. I don't know, keeping him locked in prison probably the most effective way. Yeah. Or, you know, just cutting his dick off in general. Right. 
but then again, he probably would <clears throat> even have it if they didn't do the whole castration. He probably make like a paper mache fucking chicken or some shit in his fucking cell. But anyhow, before I keep this distracting you here. <laughs> Oh, no. In a court filing, Sobel wrote, To the extent that Mr. Bessagano has accidentally killed or injured animals during the course of his, over the course of his sexual exploits, that harm is no greater than that imposed by meat eaters and leather wearers nationwide. Oh, <laughs> right. 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 She went on to say, Mr. Bessagano, Mr. Bessagano's history is unique. His entire history within both the federal and state prison systems is entirely animated by his sexual preferences. Those preferences are almost certainly the result of Mr. Bessagano's remarkably traumatic childhood. Unable to receive or seek affection from his parents, he sought that affection from animals. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's only like... One other serial killer I can well, only there's one serial killer I can think of that had like a history of having sexual relations with animals, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Or it was the dog catcher that he befriended because of that. But like any of them, the big six, any the ones you've covered, mm-hmm. I've never once have heard any of them. Seek affection from, like, fucking animals. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you gotta look like this guy to do that. I guess so. To end this... Oh, one more thing. What? Could you imagine if Ted Bundy, with as, like, attractive as he was, you know, people perceived him as, had this kind of fucking behavior? Ugh. (laughs) But anyway, it just popped in my head. To end this, Jennifer Sobel wrote, Mr. Bessagano poses no risk of harm whatsoever to the human members of his community. Oh, that's great, but you might just fuck your dog. That is probably the only thing she said that's accurate. (laughs) However, that leaves the untargeted humans in his community to have to pull, like, double duty watching their farm animals and their fucking, you know... In the house pets, making sure they weren't wandering around and getting poked in the butthole by this right. this thing. Also, there's a song by a band out of Alparaiso called uh, Violated. That is the name of the band. No, I haven't heard of them. They made a song in 2005 called Chicken Fucker Motel. And I highly suggest you look into this song and listen to it because it's fucking hilarious. You're going to have to listen to it afterwards. All right. It's great. But that's my mm-hmm. my little my little story on the, the chicken diddler. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did show me a picture of this before, and her description at the beginning, super accurate. Extremely accurate. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a Trenton resident from Wish.com. <laughs> Yeah, if I mean, if there's something below Wish, that's oh, I'm sure there that's is. That's where this guy came from. I'm sure from. there is of some sort. I don't know. So anyway, I don't know if I can be able to carry on after hearing <laughs> that shit. So anyhow, what what is your next story? So about? with you know we just going through Valentine's Day and down the love story of a man and his chickens in a fucking hotel motel. I had decided that if I wish I would have known 
her story was this. I want to bend left my railway madness for the end. This is kind of kind of ruined. Be ruined now. Why? <laughs> How can I? You'll understand once I finish this off. Okay. And they're like, okay, I get it now. Why? But as I was saying, we just had Valentine's Day, so yeah. I wanted to include something in to it. Gotcha. This week's episode for that. So it has been depicted in televisions and movies that if you want the latest hot gossip about Lyndon next door and who's been sneaking around with the milkman that you would hear from your hairdresser in the 1950s or the 60s or maybe at the nail salon or your local eyebrow threader, we have been giving each other flowers since medieval times. But if you were a Victorian, your corner florist would be the one with all the hot gossip, since the florist would know who is saying what to who using floriography. Floriography. Yes, the language of flowers. Ooh. Some courtships would actually be completely carried out, not, see, not speaking a single word and using only the language of flowers. With the strict courtship rules of the time, such as single women were never to address a gentleman without the without introduction or receive a man at home alone and must have a family member present. Unless they were giant sluts. I guess so. So, for this, your great-great-grandfather Willie might have asked out your great-great-grandmother Blanche if she was down for some moving pictures and leisure with some flowers. <laughs> yes, I am that fucking proud of that. Leave me alone. As Sarah dies from laughter. Some moving pictures. <laughs> That's really not as funny as it is in my head. Oh, fuck. Okay. Okay. Go. The message in the flyers would be carefully selected by Bloom, and also how they were sent was just as important. If the Bloom was in an upright position, it was sent in positive thought, but anything droopy wasn't a good sign. So if it was slightly wilty, that was considered bad for this kind of message signaling. So I'm wondering if you send a bouquet of both and you're sending mixed signals. Uh, maybe. Anyhow, some more wealthy, some of the more wealthy Victorians had conservatories filled with different species of flowers for the specific of reason for sending messages with these flowers by messenger. There were over 200 flowers with assigned meanings, and since this episode is right, oops, and there is well over 200 flowers with assigned meanings. But since this episode is right after Valentine's Day, I'm going to use the most commonly purchased flowers for the holiday being roses. Roses! Unless you're in high school, and it's more than likely carnations. Carnations, yep. So going back to your great-great-grandparents, Willie and Blanche... Willie might send Blanche in their in the early parts of their courtship a single rose with the thorns and leaves still on the stem with the bloom still being upright. Uh-huh. Old Willie here is telling Blanche that he desires her and is hopeful but fearful of her response. And depending on her response, she would either send the rose back without the thorns and the leaves, telling him he had everything to hope for. If he was to receive it with the thorns still on the stem and upside down, Blanche's response was more than likely that he must not fear or hope. So that was a bad sign. Ah, okay. She's saying, thank you for being a friend. And now you get why I asked about Blanche. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just figured it's because you were a pale and a confidant. <laughs> How did this fucking <laughs> derail so bad? I don't know. <laughs> so, but like with the saying, you know, saying telling him for thank you for being your friend and all by sending <clears throat> it with the thorns and leaves and upside down back by messenger. Uh huh. But if she had received it and he would see it over her heart, this was a signal for love. Okay. <clears throat> now, what if he saw it over her vagina? Well, I mean, her name is Blanche, but anyhow. Moving pictures escalated real quick. Moving didn't pictures they? and leisure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's sorry. Oh, God. And so, okay. Anyhow, so now we're straightened back up here, I think. There were even flowers to send a more negative, and there were even flowers to send a more negative message that you might send to an enemy, and that it might be considered be consisted of a bouquet of basil, birds trefoil, and oriolander, which I took from these lists to make this up. And this would actually might be a quite beautiful bouquet because the colors of the oriolander is a pinkish color. And the bird's foot trefoil is yellow and just using the basil as green. And, like, I googled it. They literally mean, like, the fucking curb. Yeah. Okay. So. So if you send them this bouquet, you might actually, you're more likely you're telling them, beware of my revenge. I hate you. Oh, damn. Those flowers are threatening. Even though, <laughs> like, this bouquet is of pinkish and yellow colors. It looks friendly. But yeah, it's not. Right. Uh, with the 200 flowers, I didn't, like, look through all of it. I just pulled some here for this. Yeah. Pulled some of this here to give you an idea what some of them mean. Uh, the forget-me-not, which is blue in color, would be sent to as a way to say true love as a message. Hazel would be sent as a way to say let's bury the hatchet. You would send them an aspen tree as, as a meaning of sorrow. A whole ass tree? A whole ass tree. You're probably sending them like a seedling. <laughs> I'd <Like> hope. <laughs> Clark Griswold that shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sending them geraniums, which is purple in color. It's meaning for lost hope. Ivy, just the regular green plant, would be sent for friendship. P, but I'm not sure if this was like the dark purple flower because there is one they call the pea butterfly flower that came up when I googled uh -huh. to find this out or the peas like peas we eat itself like snow peas yeah well like like round pea snow peas it didn't specify it just said pea from the screen copy that I found okay and uh this message might be a little bit more spicy and Blanche might send somebody else which would mean saying Meet me by moonlight. Blanche is a slut. <laughs> That's invitation to hit Pound Town, ain't it? What, the meet me by moonlight? Yep. Well, I'm sure old Uncle Willie, you know, old Willie here is probably hoping for that. She's sending him peas or this flower, maybe. Eek. Well, I'm not sure if she would, because I looked and I looked and looked to see if women would actually send these flowers back. Like, would send flowers back, so probably some of the wealthier ones did, but uh -huh. it was kind of hard to find some information on what happens when they received. Like, 
other than you get these bouquets mixed with flower, you know, flower bouquet, you would get out your flower diction, your floriography dictionary and decipher it from that message. And I forget what town it is. It's actually making you come back in the United Kingdom. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So just like the females sent these flowers to the men or was it the opposite? It was the men, the men sent sending them. them, but I couldn't find anything if the women would send a message back with the flowers okay. other than the hand signals. So would it. the last one that you just mentioned about meeting under the moonlight, right. would that be like um, the modern day dick pic? Well, maybe, I mean, because... Like, not wanted, unsolicited, like, nobody asked for that shit. Well, the P, and when I put in P, flower, this one came up, and, yeah, it's called a butterfly... I forget what the fuck it's called. But it's, like, super dark purple, and it's kind of suggestive. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, P, flower, plant. Well, the one picture, it kind of is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it looks like uh, open vagine lips. And, yeah, very suggestive. What the fuck? Now, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I know. It might seem crazy, but with that picture there that I showed Sarah. Yeah, yeah there ain't no no denying what the fuck they want with that flower. Yeah. So I, maybe, she's, maybe she would have sent the pea flower back. Or he's like, look, I'm going to open your flower. Because that's what it looks like. Or maybe that's how that's kind of become relative with that. I don't know. That's fucking yeah. weird. Is that the end of your story? Yeah, that's the end of my story there. Oh. I like that. I mean, would you like to moving picture and leisure? <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird. Yeah, I, I had to come up with something other than just say Netflix and chill. I had to come make it fit the time period. Moving picture and leisure. Yeah. Well, I had moving picture and chill at first. But I was like, no, nah, I got to fucking figure something else out. And it just hit me as I started reading it. But anyhow. That's funny. I think it's time we close the Emporium for the day, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. And maybe send flowers to tell somebody a secret message. Okay, bye. Bye. Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. My brain was like, (laughs) dirt, dirt.